Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life doesn't have a pause button. That's why Capella University's FlexPath Learning Format lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them if something comes up. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference for you at capella.edu. Hey, y'all, big news. Yes, big news. We will be hosting our third live show in partnership with the Highline Park's Culture Shock event. Join us on Saturday, April 22nd at 4 p.m. on the High Line in New York City's Chelsea neighborhood. Our lineup is going to be jam-packed with Black Girl Magic. We are going to have author Naomi Jackson, New York Times Magazine staff writer and co-host of the podcast Still Processing, Jenna Wortham, and the founder of Well-Read Black Girl, Glory Eden. Yes, don't miss it. Tickets are free. Free. You heard that right. Free with RSVP. To RSVP, just visit Highline.org and click on the Culture Shock banner. Seriously, they are going to go fast. They are free 99. Free 99. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. We hope to see your shining faces. So you guys are be there or be square or be out of town or under the weather. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> All right. See you soon. All right. Bye. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Brittany. And we are... For Colored Nerds. The conversations that black people have... When white people are not in the room... But we record them. And we put them on the internet. How's it going? Honestly, I'm doing pretty good. We're making some moves. I'm going to have a new show out. That's yeah. all. That's all I can actually say. But I'm excited about it. I think other people are going to be excited about it. That's literally all I can say. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to be here today, too. I am, too. The sun is shining today. I woke up today and I actually did something I very rarely do. I actually listened to some gospel music. Yeah. Which I shouldn't say with like disdain. But, no, gospel uh, <laughs> music is like, it's like the, one of the, it's like the best, maybe the best musical genre. Yeah. I mean, to wake up to, especially, I was, I was in like, a, I was in a very good space. I know you were sending Tasha Cobb's links yeah. at like <laughs> 7.30 this morning, like, wake up and grab your blessing. <laughs> I need to like screenshot that and send it to my mom so she can realize I'm not like fully... Like a complete full heathen. heathen. Yeah. yeah. Yes, but I'm awake. I'm up. I'm blessed, and um, and I think that today's episode is going to be really exciting. Okay, so we have a third person in the room with us today in the studio with us this morning. Today we have the fabulous, the fantastic one of our favorite writers. Yes, like somebody who you and I are both big fans of, senior culture writer for BuzzFeed News. Bim Adewumi. Bim, Hi. welcome to this show. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Well, I'm really glad that you're here. 
And I know Eric's glad too. Yeah. So let's get cracking. We're going to talk about you today. Yes. Listen, my favorite subject. (laughs) Number one. (laughs) I I need that. I don't know if you know this. I'm actually a narcissist. So this is ideal for me. I get to just kind of lean into myself. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's the the easiest thing to lean into. Exactly. (laughs) If if I don't lean in, who's going to lean in? Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. This is exactly what Sheryl Sandberg meant when she wrote that book. Yeah, she said lean in words. That was the part that it got cut off. That's the bit no one ever remembers, but we remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Bib, I found out recently you and I are kind of almost neighbors. Mm. We both live in Bed-Stuy. Yes. And I noted that you're not from there, just based upon your accent. <laughs> just that's not where you're from. That's correct. Um, Very so, astute. <laughs> we're a sharp I'm, bunch. <laughs> yeah, I'm something of a sleuth. But, like, you know, you're, you write a lot about American pop culture, but, like, you're mm. from Britain. How did you get from London mm. to hear at BuzzFeed, like as one of like I think one of the leading black voices on black American pop culture on the internet. Well, yeah. first of all, that's very kind of you to say. So I'm going to kind of do a very rambly response to this. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people assume that popular culture is easy and obvious, mm-hmm. and a lot of the time people will respond to something you say with "uh duh." For example, on Twitter, which I suppose is the wrong venue for some stuff. But I will say something on Twitter and then somebody will explain it back to me. And I'm like, no, no, I, I know this. I, I, I wrote that because I, I know that. And I think there's a real case of, you know, first of all, that it's a frivolous subject and that also it is something that is obvious. Everyone knows it. You know, you're not special for knowing this thing or for saying this thing. Mm-hmm. And I look at it kind of like modern arts when people kind of go to galleries and kind of go, uh, I could do this. And the answer every time is, yeah, but you didn't. Yeah. So... You know, mm-hmm. mm. so in terms of how I know so much is because of uh, cultural imperialism <laughs> by the United States of America. Mm. They've done an excellent job of sending out their products into the world and making it so that sometimes that's all you can see. So my favorite sitcom of all time, which makes me instantly basic, I have to kind of just say that up front, <laughs> is Friends. Because for the longest time growing up in England, Friends was on television every Friday night at 9pm. Mm. And then after the show ended, it was on telly pretty much every single day. I'm talking multiple episodes mm-hmm. every single day on Channel 4 or on E4 or on Comedy Central or wherever. So Comedy I... Central? Listen... I could pretty much quote any episode of Friends, any episode of Friends. Like, I know where to laugh. I know everyone's tone. I know I, I know entire chunks of dialogue. Mm. It's ridiculous mm-hmm. and, and unnecessary life skill. And yet I have it. So so that's how it's, it's because America does such an excellent slash terrifying job of selling its cultural products <laughs> everywhere in the world. But in terms of how I got to BuzzFeed, I... Um, I was working uh, at the BuzzFeed office in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I'd actually transferred here last March. I arrived here on Super Tuesday, um, specifically mm. to write Fun about... Fun day. Fun, yeah. <laughs> the funnest day of all. I literally arrived and I was like, hang on, something's happening. Oh, it's Super Tuesday. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of got here. And the aim of me coming here was to kind of cover something fairly wide. So it was some pop culture but also politics and you know american life and sort of i don't know if you're familiar with um an english uh writer called alistair cook it was a journalist with um the guardian and his letters were broadcast on the bbc as well and he used to do something called letter from america mm-hmm. and which i mean this was obviously pre-internet so 
sometimes that was the only kind of like fresh dispatch you would get from America in England. Mm. So he would write a letter and it would be about whatever was in the news that week. You know, he wrote about everything because he was here for decades. I think in the end he was a naturalized American citizen um, and he lived in, I think, upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alistair Cook was this kind of like authority. He spoke like this. He spoke of the BBC. You know, he was there. <laughs> you know. And um, so he's like this kind of tall white man in a suit. And that's not who I am, obviously. I'm, I'm a short <laughs> black woman. But I think... I like to think of the work that I do to an extent to be sort of like Alistair Cook, which is to kind of take an American product and to explore it and to think of it both in the American context, but also in the British context, but also wider context. Because in addition to being um, British, I'm also Nigerian. um, I'm also a Muslim. um, And there are things that I think the great objective white men of days past just didn't (laughs) think of. When they were doing this, I mean, it's shocking. It was a surprise for me too, uh, to kind of be like, "Oh, hold on, no one took into account this thing or whatever." So, so that's the very convoluted, not very clear line of thoughts as to how I'm here. No, it's not. I mean, I didn't think that was convoluted at all. Mm -mm. So, wait, how did you get started writing, though? Um, my childhood was in many ways idyllic. With hindsight, I can say that. But at the time, I probably thought I was being, you know, treated horribly. But I'm sure <laughs> I look back now and I'm like, that was actually not a bad childhood. Yeah. We moved to Nigeria when um, I was a child and we left England and we went to we went back to Nigeria. Well, my parents went back. We were going for the first time. And my dad is a very he's a very smart man. And he is kind of obsessed with education and with reading in particular. And so when I was a kid, we had like our regular pocket money and then we had book money and they were entirely separate things. And there was, you know, you could spend money on books and that was a separate thing. And then you could spend your frivolous nonsense money on like silly things. Um, So my dad would make us buy reading material and then tell him about what we'd read. So it was a very kind of easy way to engage um, kids in reading. Mm -hmm. So I've been like an obsessive reader since I was very, very young. And I've been enabled by my parents very much to to do that. So I quote unquote wrote my first book when I was like nine, which was essentially a recycled story (laughs) (laughs) that I wrote in in an exercise book and asked my dad if he could publish. And he very kindly said, no, no one can do that in this house. But I'm proud of you. Well done. Good job. So I've been writing a very long time, but I kind of formalized it when I went to university and studied journalism um, in the UK. So I went to uh, Bournemouth University, which has a very, very, very good media school. And then um, I went to work for the BBC uh, in radio. So I was going to be a radio person, Mm. but I left the Beeb. I kind of meandered for a very long time. I worked in a bookstore. I was very good at it. I was a children's bookseller. Um, And then I ended up at the Guardian. I, I worked for some local papers and then I worked for the Guardian, various parts of the Guardian. My last job at the Guardian was as women's editor. And then BuzzFeed came knocking and then I left and went to work for BuzzFeed in London. Mm. So um, the short answer is I studied journalism and I ended up uh, working as a writer. But the long, long, long answer is who the hell even knows? I <laughs> I essentially meandered like pillar to post. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. And like I see 25 year olds now. And I think to myself, how the hell are you so focused and so knowledgeable <laughs> about what you want to do with your life? Like someone said to me, you know, you know, Bim, how did you get? And I was like, fam, it's luck. Like, it feels like, I mean, not just luck, obviously my mother's prayers. Just kind of like, please, Lord, just direct her. So one of the pieces like that, that 
I was really excited about uh, that you've written mm. is uh, why The Walking Dead has become fan fiction's muse. Like when it came out, I remember I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> just because <laughs> like you rarely see one, you just rarely see anything about fan fiction that's not like uh using it as like the punchline yes you know mm-hmm. but it was such a like i just thought it was such a great exploration of like you know why this is something that's like not trivial why yeah. this is like why it's you know even important but one of the things i was curious about is like how you came to fan fiction <laughs> like specifically <laughs> and in the piece you know you you uh talked about a uh, walking dead and kind of the rashon like relationship the mm. ship rather just say more about your relationship with fan fiction okay so fanfic is first of all just one of the lights of my life <laughs> i love fan fiction even poor fan fiction i think it's telling a specific story i think i started reading fanfic as a teenager so in the in the early days of do you remember the time when you used to get um, AOL via CD, yeah. CD-ROM? <laughs> you got like six mm-hmm. of them a day. <laughs> <laughs> they were in supermarkets. They were in magazines. Yes. Like, take this home and dial up some internet. Um, and I remember back then, essentially, I don't know how I found fanfic. I think it's the kind of thing that fanfic finds you if you're if you're into <laughs> that. Especially at the time of, in terms of like the development of the internet at the time. There were only like, what, 17 websites at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, and inevitably you know, fans find their spaces. So I read fanfic um, as a teenager um, and my my ships then were, they were varied. You may remember that even though telly was very, very um, black in in terms of like American television in the 90s, yeah. people weren't really writing fanfic about those characters. Yeah. So I suppose my big fanfic like home was Dawson's Creek. Mm. <laughs> I was mm. I was massively into. I have merchandise. I have posters. And again, it's one of those things <laughs> that in moving across a continent to America like, last year, I packed up a, a good part of my life. So I began finding artifacts from my previous life. So I saw my Dawson's Creek poster and I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> But it was like lovingly preserved, glossy still. Um, I found like Dawson's Creek CDs, like soundtracks to the to the show. I was deeply into Dawson's Creek and I will love Pacey forever. Um, <laughs> so so Dawson's Creek was like my big introduction into fanfic. I was also into Boy Meets World, mm. Angela and Sean, mm. one of my first black girls on screen. Yes. I loved Angela. And I love that she was like 10 years older than everyone in the cast. Yeah. <laughs> but because of the way she looks. The way Melanin works. I mean, have you seen... Exactly. Yeah. See, what had happened was Angela looked like she was literally a decade younger. And I was like, wait. And again, I saw her recently and I was like, why is your face the same? It's <laughs> remarkable. Anyway, so that was th- those are my those are my first like fanfic that I recall. I remember kind of being very, very much into in terms of like Rishon, another light of my life. I love Denai Gurira. I think she is stunning and i think mm-hmm. she also has this incredible brain beneath it all you know she's an award-winning playwright mm-hmm. i mean who the hell is an award-winning playwright <laughs> who's also in the highest rated cable show of mm-hmm. all time like just casual just yeah. casually yeah. and that bone structure and the bone structure <laughs> it's mean i it's saw mean. it's mean it is offensive it feels like it's an attack on me mm-hmm. I, if she wasn't black, I'd call it a hate crime. But I just, I cannot deal with how stunning she is. I um, saw a photo of her recently at some event at her former school. Her head is completely shaved for the Black Panther movie that she'll be in next year. Mm-hmm. And I have never seen a skull so smooth. I just, I wanted to kiss it for luck. I wanted to reach <laughs> through the screen and just place my lips tenderly upon her cranium 
And I thought, no, you can't do that. That's creepy. <laughs> but <laughs> she is a little bit creepy, just but not not too much. But I love her. So I, I was so when she turned up in season three of The Walking Dead, I was like, okay, well, I'm back in the saddle because I started watching The Walking Dead, even though I'm deathly scared of everything scary. Mm-hmm. But I watched it because I love Andrew Lincoln because Andrew Lincoln is a British actor who yeah. was mm. someone I have loved for pretty much most of my adult life. So I really, really love Andrew Lincoln. So I was like, fine, I'll watch this for you, Andrew. And then Danai came up in seven, in season three and I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to watch it for all of us now. And so I ended up starting to kind of watch it. And then, I, you know, nothing was happening between Michonne and Rick. And that yeah. was fine mm-hmm. because as a, I'm sure you guys know this too, as nerds yourself, yourselves rather, you go into a show where there's a black character and your expectations are lower than zero. Oh, yeah. yeah. Non-existent. Yeah. Non-existent. Yeah. They're like, oh, if they stay alive, they're yeah. going to be tap dancing by the first right. episode. <laughs> While eating chicken. Exactly. So so the bar is so low, it's underground. And you're kind of like, fine, whatever happens, I will roll with it because otherwise I'm not going to watch any telly because everything is problematic and everything is terrible. Yeah. And then slowly but surely, Michonne began emerging as this person who was a person, even though I still have issues with the fact that we don't know her last name, which... That's yeah. another story, <laughs> but that's fine. But Michonne, Denai really imbued uh, the character with a lot of kind of nuance because she's a spectacular actor. There's also the thing that you could not ignore, which was the palpable chemistry between her and um, Rick Grimes, played mm. by Andrew Lincoln. So to me, there seemed to be like an obvious ship opportunity. Yeah. I don't know if anyone does a lingering look as well as Andrew Lincoln. Like mm. where, but you, without even any words, he's just looking at you and you're kind of like, um, that was an entire poem. What the fuck? Like <laughs> he's very, very good at doing that. And Denai is very, very good also at returning those looks. And I remember, you know, conversations, half conversations, you know, sometimes online, sometimes in person, like, are they, are they together? And people are going, no, no, they're not. And you're like, are you sure they're not? It's like, they're not. It's like, all right, fine. And then eventually they got together in season six. And when that happened, I stood up from the sofa where I was watching. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I did a praise dance around my living room. <laughs> and I was like, finally, something good from fandom. So, yeah, I really, really love them. So for me, fanfic is one of those things that, like you said, it's not just it's not trivial. Yeah. It's important. For me, the fanfic that exploded around the time... I mean, there was lots of fanfic about Rick and Michonne long before they actually got together. But after they did, there was this explosion where there's something there's something very interesting about having your ship go canon. Mm, like having yeah. it recognized, you know, as a real relationship that is not in your head, that you are not, you know, you're not all day thinking about, I wonder what... It's like, no, it's here. It's real. We've written it in. Whatever anyone says, this happened. So... In fact, your focus then shifts from, you know, the, the, oh, God, they're fucking this up by not putting them together with, oh, God, how are they going to fuck it up now they put them yeah. together? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, nerd problems. But the fic that was coming out post Rick and Michonne getting together in season six was astonishingly good. And it was people were thinking about this again because they'd had so long to kind of marinate on this idea yeah. of them together. So there were all these scenarios and. So many of the writers, not all by any means, but so many of the writers in that fandom are black women. And that to me is revolutionary where you have an example of what you want to see and then you go away and you just kind of write and write and write. And I just, and and the work is good. Like the, some of the people I highlighted in the piece, um, a writer called Ash Jordan, mm-hmm. um, who goes by Cake by the Pound. She writes the most beautiful dialogue. Like it's incredibly natural 
incredibly sweet um, and very true to the character. That's the other thing. These are not out of out of character. Um, another writer called Kendra, um, I forget her surname, but she's Kendra uh, Kendra writer thirty three on fanfic.net. and she is again amazing. She she's a she's a master at just world building. But she wrote one, and it, it's ongoing. It's called Vantage Point, mm-hmm. and it's like this noirish. Oh God! Like I, I, when I first read it, I was like, "Who the hell is like this?" Is so good. <laughs> I'm blown away every time by the amazing, amazing writing that comes out of something so simple. Which is, I love this show so much that I'm going to imagine worlds, other worlds in it. It's like you pull out the best kernel of a show and just kind of like create something beautiful from that. I actually, I, I haven't always liked fan fiction. My, uh, my wife kind of put me on to it. Um, women always do because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like I don't know that I could really get into this and she was like well name a show and I will send you some fix some good fix about uh-huh. that show and so I was like like I was trying to be like somewhat facetious I was just like oh well suits because I was like oh this is like a ridiculous thing you know there's not going to be any like suits <laughs> and she was like are you sure <laughs> <laughs> there is so much good suits fic oh my god so much yeah and so she was she was like she was like I can see you some I was like I can see you some crazy stuff about suits and uh, <laughs> she ended up sending me some stuff about Gina Torres' character, uh-huh. Jessica oh, Pearson. Jessica. Which mm. was, it was really good. And it just like, if you don't watch Suits, like Jessica Pearson's character is just like really like accomplished. Just like, she just doesn't fucking play. She's just always in control always. of her own uh, like decisions and like, the, she has an amazing clarity of her path that I would never achieve. But, um, <laughs> but in this, like, it gave it so much more of, like, a whole, like, world to her character. And it was interesting, like, in the last, like, so, uh, you know, spoiler alert for Suits. But, like, in the last season, she kind of, like, leaves the show. And they had just started to really, like, flesh out her character. And I realized, like, a lot of that, like, what they were finally starting to explore was the things that people had been doing in fan fiction, like, all of this time. Right. Uh, and it's interesting. I think the writers, like, finally, the, the producers finally, like, realize that because now they're talking about, like, creating a, a, a spinoff. Like, a spinoff yeah. with just her character, all about her character. Whoa. Yeah. She never, she never really got, like, a good love interest. Mm-mm. Like, she was always a B plot, you know? Exactly. And I think that's, that's the other thing as well that fanfic accomplishes, which is to flesh out what the producers and the writers leave out. Yeah. Mm. So, I can't tell you, which I wrote in the piece also, how many fics I have read where they specifically give Michonne a surname mm. and they have her reveal it to Rick. And, you know, there will be a scene where she will kind of give information, um, usually, you know, per sex, because it's smutty. <laughs> and I love smutty fanfic, by the way. Let me just put that out there. But it'll be one of those things where they're in a very kind of open mood and, you know, you know, he'll ask, you know, I, I haven't asked this before, but what is your surname or whatever? Yeah. And it's always something really small, but it's so pointed because they're saying, fucking hell, give her a name. In a way, it's wishful for me. You know, it's a longing to see these characters become full characters because, as you say, so often you are the B plot. Yeah. You yeah. know, you see yourself on screen, but it's never in the capacity of, oh, I'm the lead. I'm the, you know, so it's it's always it's, it's almost like a corrective yeah. like this is where you're messing up so mm-hmm. we're going to fix it we're going to we're going to flesh out the parts that you cannot even see are missing you know mm-hmm. so actually i think that's a good spot to uh take a break let's do it finding the music you love shouldn't be hard that's why pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album and we'll make a station crafted just for you Best of all, you can listen for free. 
Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life. At capella.edu. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. All right, welcome back. We are talking to Bim Adewumi. Thank you. The the thing that you say about B-plots and Black women being B-plots, um, that's something that I think is like prevalent, like, not just like not just here, also across the pond mm-hmm. and all sorts of media. But something that I've noticed um, just as an American person who watches British TV uh, like through the Internet or on Netflix or whatever is like how many black female like lead characters there are mm. and also how many like black female love interests there are even like um, uh, even specifically like black female love interests on predominantly white shows mm-hmm. like if they have to have a girl who who someone's going on a date with whereas like I feel like in the United States it's just almost always default a white woman mm-hmm. like I feel like there's a little bit more mixing it up in British TV but like, like, so like, lovesick, crazy head, misfits, chewing gum, like all these things come to mind. Even like, just I noticed that I, I, I feel like I, I feel like I see more, like dark skinned black women on mm. British TV. Mm-hmm. And what I want to know is that like, like, what is like you have a really good read on like you know like U.S. stuff and also of U.K. stuff. Like, what is the truth? Like, what is, the <laughs> is that truth? the Oprah gift? That's you the just Oprah gift. Yes. Like, what is the truth? So, what is the truth? I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think, I think Americans, and we do the same in Britain. We tend to view American TV as a wider uh, set, mm-hmm. and I think Americans do the same thing with British television. You have to recall that. Everything that you see has been curated mm, for yeah. you to see it. Mm. And I think we, because we're watching, so now that I watch almost exclusively American television since I live here now, mm-hmm. I suddenly think to myself, oh, it's it's as bad as the UK in many ways. <laughs> because this is the thing. So in, to go back to fanfic very quickly, I've made a decision for the most part to only read fanfic with black female characters. Yeah. Because that, to me, is the world that needs the most furnishing. So mm-hmm. I'm not really interested in anybody else. I'm really here for black girls first, mm-hmm. every time. And I think sometimes the television that 
Americans get that is British, especially black Americans, is going to be story, you know, TV that essentially has black characters. It's almost self-fulfilling. Like, mm. if especially if you watch Chewing Gum, mm-hmm. Netflix is likely going to recommend Crazy Head. Yeah. It's yeah. probably going to recommend Lovesick. Yeah. And so on. So I think, yes, it's been slightly better in terms of visibility in recent years. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's still very, very bad. The bulk of British television is still incredibly white. Still. Um, but the stuff that makes its way over across the pond is the stuff that is a bit more diverse. In addition to like the regular shows like Downton Abbey and all the period dramas. Mm-hmm. But in reality, television in the UK is still, you know, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, incredibly white still. But it has got slightly better and more visible. And I think there is also a difference. The fact that, you know, Crazy Head, you know, one of the leads in that is Susan Wakoma. Oh, I am obsessed yeah. with her. She's amazing. Crazy Head is fantastic. She yeah. is amazing. Oh, she's so good. She's so good. Um, and you have Michaela Cole. Of mm-hmm. course, Susie is also in uh, Chewing yeah. Gum as Cynthia, the amazing younger sister. Oh, so good. So good. But um, there's this um, young writer and performer called Lolly Adifope. She's fantastic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's like more inroads are being made and the successes of these kinds of shows I think kind of helps to kind of propagate that idea as well um, you mentioned Lovesick I don't know if anyone's familiar with the the, the um, storyline of, but it's essentially this guy going back and finding all his previous sexual partners to tell them he has chlamydia mm-hmm. so they should go get tested mm-hmm. which is right that's British love right there um, <laughs> I saw that and I was like oh my homeland um, <laughs> And one of the person he calls is played by Nikki Amuka Bird, mm-hmm. who is a dark-skinned black woman. Mm-hmm. And I remember, again, starting when I, I was like, oh, are we just going to, oh. It's going to creep that in here. Right. Like. Literally, I, I think I made that sound like, oh. No, and they had those like kind of, rope, like it wasn't just like, because some of the, some of the, his like partners that he goes back to contact, yeah. like they end up not really having much interaction in the episode or yeah. they have like a comically bad interaction. Right, right. But like they had like, a whole romance a within whole, the span of an episode. A, it was so a full sweet. Rom- it was very sweet. And I remember thinking to myself, wait, is this allowed? Like, oh. <laughs> like- yeah. And then another episode, his best friend Luke is on a date. You know, the same episode actually yeah, yeah. with her best friend who is also a woman of color. And I was like, wait a minute. Yes. Wait. Yes. And so that was shocking even for me. And I watch a lot of television and I'm British. So that's how, that's this is what I mean when I tell you that it's so, it's still rare. You know, relatively mm-hmm. speaking, it is still rare. So I think that's the thing to kind of bear in mind that a lot of what you're getting has been perfectly curated to kind of fit the kinds of things you already like. So if you like one thing, chances are you will find the other thing. And so you, it kind of gives you a slightly skewed idea of what television looks like. Because I do hear a lot of Americans say, oh, things seem better in Britain. And I, every time I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> no, it looks that way. Um, it's it's. I think it's getting better, and my hope and my hope and fervent prayer is that it will keep getting better. Mm-hmm. But I still think that there is there's so far to go, so far, and it's not a coincidence that so many Black British actors and you know and creative people in general are leaving the UK to come to Hollywood mm. yeah. or elsewhere because opportunities. I mean, the recent situation with Daniel Kaluuya and Samuel L. Jackson uh, get out. Yeah. And I think to myself, well, you know, I I sympathize with every black performer in the U.S., but also it's shit in the U.K. So go, mm-hmm. Danny, go, go to Hollywood, take all the roles. Too. I love, I love him. So, He has so, a great so, face. So he was also uh, he was face. on he was on Skins as well. Yeah. You know, back yes. in the day, and he was mm-hmm. a writer in the Skins writers' room as well. So 
again, this is the thing that, that you, there's a feeling of there's a ceiling that you reach in the UK mm. and then you have to break out of it and mm. get on a plane and come to the US. And I think that happens a lot more than people realize. I didn't even think of it that way that there's a ceiling, but it's true. Like if I think about like, like Idris Elba definitely hit a ceiling yeah. and then came over here and was doing Tyler Perry. So it's like he had to get right back on. Like, right, you know what right. I'm saying? Right. Quote unquote dues. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. Pay his quote, yeah exactly. It pays quote unquote dues. Yeah. Like, yeah, now that I think about it, that's so true of so many. Like, like um, I've been really impressed with Ruth Nega. Yes. And what, with, with what she's, how she's been able to come from the UK and just come in at a really high level in yeah. the United States. Well, did you notice that at the last BAFTAs, she was nominated in the category of newcomer? That's in the UK. Now, okay. So do you see what I now, mean about see, a ceiling? Do you I'm, see? Oh my God. Right. She because was on Misfits was in, years ago. She was on Misfits. She was in, what's that movie with, I think it was Killian Murphy. Yes. I can't remember I the name I forget the of one. It. it was the but Irish one. Irish. Yes. Yeah. Because, yes, she's yeah, Irish. She's an yeah. Irish Ethiopian woman and she yeah. was playing an Irish. I saw that movie, I think when I was 18. I remember um, watching that and she's great in that. Oh my God. She's also really good and she was amazing in that uh the film about Shirley Bassey. She was amazing in that. Yes. That they so this, had a, the, the on BBC. the BBC. Yeah, they yeah, had like yeah. a whole series. They was... had a mixed race week, which was like an interesting. I mean. Is that what they call it? Because I know it's a different. I know it's like a, maybe, that's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a different thing. I mean, for me, that that I recall that film being part of a divas um, on BBC Four thing. So maybe oh. they repackaged it for BBC America. But for oh, in, yeah, in the yeah, UK, yeah. it was part, it was her and it was um, what's her name Gracie Fields and uh-huh. another. So there was like three biopics. Yeah, yeah. Because I liked I I I thought that it was I was kind of irritated when I saw it. maybe it was BBC America that they repackaged it for. Mm. I was irritated when they were like for mixed race week we will have Shirley Bassey. I was like she's a lot. A lot, a lot more than just that, but yeah. I get it. Yeah, but, but also, also like, and if you think about the content of the film, which is very specifically about her, you know, growing mm-hmm. up in Tiger Bay, um, and being, you know, a visibly mixed race child mm-hmm. in a very, very white, you know, I don't know. I, I, I mean, listen, I claim Shirley Bassey because she's half Nigerian, so yeah. that makes her my aunt. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I see what you say. I mean, but this is the thing. Ruth's Ruth's career had been going up and up, and again, she had to leave the UK. Yeah, in order to do some stuff, and you know, she gets Oscar nominated for Loving, and I think it's amazing how even the Baftas in her home, well, uh. homish country could not nominate her in a similar, you know, they yeah. did the same thing with David Oyelowo, the, you know, the year of Selma. Mm-hmm. He wasn't nominated. And I was like, even if it's a pity nomination, yeah. just claim your son, England. Just claim him. Yeah. And they just didn't. And I, so there's a real kind of, and I talk about this with people, I'm friends with people who are in the creative industries in, in the UK. And we have, you know, these conversations over and over again that, you know, eventually I will have to leave, they all say. Eventually I'll have to go to Hollywood. And it's kind of sad. But it's also just, you know, the way it is. So people kind of accept it in a way. It's just like, well, this is this is the world that we live in. And so, you know, I just have to go where the opportunities are and try and make something happen. Mm. I'm really glad that you cleared that up for me because I that's like it's something I've been talking about with my boyfriend, with all of my black girlfriends. Like where we're watching like literally me and my boyfriend every time every time we watched an episode of Love Sick and like a like a black woman came up as like a former like lover or date we'd both be like oh my god it happened again but it's so true because it's like if you, i mean if you spend all your time watching waiting to exhale then i think netflix eventually figures out yeah what i'm going to be interested in right and they'll just like redirect me this is it but it's i can tell you that the shock that you felt I wouldn't, I mean, don't think that you were alone in that. Because I remember calling, I remember WhatsApping my friend and I was like, wait, is, wait, in caps, is that Nikki Amukabird? And she was like, mm-hmm. I think it is, in a very mild voice. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? How did that happen? For me, it was when they were on the double date. 
and there were these two black women and I was like, no, 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 no. I don't know who told <laughs> you this was allowed, but seriously, I, I was genuinely sure. And the fact that Antonia Thomas is the lead, yeah. you know, the co-lead as well, is very interesting. And to have her just kind of be... You know, and she's doing again. Speaking of America, yeah. she's do, she's doing a pilot here as well. That's what I was just talking yeah, about. Yeah, Eric was just so, talking about yesterday. You know, like sometimes after a point, you just have to leave the island of your birth and just kind of go elsewhere. Mm, like I mean, you, like me. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I was in many ways at the vanguard. I've told them. I've told them to come on. It's safe. Come on down. You know. The chicken is good. Um, <laughs> oh my god, it's better. Stereotypes. How dare you? It is not okay. Maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. Certain kinds of chicken are better. Yeah. Okay, I, I haven't found decent Nigerian food in this city yet, and I'm I'm angry. I, you know what? I'm, I don't blame your anger. I don't blame your anger. I don't blame you. That's fine. Mm. There just aren't enough Africans in in New York. It's okay. It's fine. I'll go back to London on holiday. I'll find it. So. You so you obviously so we've talked a lot about your pop culture writing, but you now also you've been writing a lot about like politics and, and, and hard news. Specifically, like you had this piece that covered the Dylan Roof trial, uh-huh. um, and you wrote a lot about the election. Um, so I'm I'm curious if you could talk a little bit to like that transition and mm-hmm. and, and maybe if there's anything that you like took from your pop culture writing to mm-hmm. like in that approach mm-hmm. to news. I mean, I feel like all of my writing is essentially um, in the same basket which is looking at kind of human beings and trying to kind of draw a wider picture from that. So in a way, it's not, I mean, like I said, I study journalism at university. So I know that I'm more uh, usually writing about pop culture, but it's not the only thing I write about. Um, And in many ways, I think it's overshadowed the fact that I haven't always written just about popular culture. So this was more like a return rather than a transition to a new form of writing for me. It was kind of, you know, I did, I did news when I first started out um, as a journalist. And so the shift into features and, and culture writing was something that happened over time. And the visa application process to come and live in America was essentially having to explain what I would be doing. Mm. And I was very clear about the fact that I would be writing about American life, American politics, American culture. And I think it's very usual for people to kind of put these topics in silos Mm, and that's not the situation at all because so often they bleed into um, one another and they kind of essentially become part of this much larger animal. Um, So I think for me, the writing isn't that different because what I'm trying to do is look at one product, in this case, Dylan Roof, and to look at him as a product of America in the same way that I would look at a TV show as a product of America um, and then try and um, draw parallels. Um, he doesn't, you know, the fact that te- television shows are not made in a vacuum mm. and men like Dylan Roof are not made in a vacuum. So I, to me, there's, a pa- there's an obvious parallel to, yeah. to writing about pop culture or writing about, you know, a murderer, a mass murderer who committed a hate crime. And I think you have to kind of look at it as all my writing is essentially, what is the point of this? Why am I writing this? You know, what am I trying to kind of make clear? Um, what needs elucidation? What, what is it that people have an idea but haven't quite connected together? So in writing, for example, about fan fiction um, and having to look at it as it being a firm reaction to a lack of something. Um, and you look at Dylan Roof and you go, well, sitting in that courtroom, hearing testimony and listening to or seeing the things that he wrote in his diary, in his journals, whatever, and understanding that in the wider context of the nation of America and he, you know, again, he was not made in a vacuum. He was, he was trained. He was cultivated. He was yeah. cultivated. Mm. Exactly. Like somebody sowed a seed, somebody watered it and somebody watched it grow. 
Um, and that's somebody in this, because I suppose you could argue is American culture at large, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's very, I don't think they're very different in terms of what I'm trying to do with the, with, with the work at any time. Is always trying to say to somebody, here is something you may or may not have considered. And maybe you should take a look at that because that's the other thing as well. A lot of my writing inevitably is going to be subjective. You know, these are my experiences. This is my knowledge and I'm filtering them through very specific channels. And so perhaps I might see something that somebody else hadn't, or maybe I'm seeing something, but in a different way. Um, so I try to look at it as that, like, I, I think about the condition, for example, of blackness and how, even though I'm not American, I don't think a racist would stop to ask me where in the world I was from, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I, I look at it kind of like that and just say, well, here's how this relates to me. If I had been in that church that night, would Dylan Roof have turned his gun away from me because I'm not American? The answer is no. Mm. In as much as, you know, I speak the way I speak. And that's the other thing as well. Like, I find it very... Interesting. One of the things Americans say, especially now, is, you know, when I'm speaking with them, they say stuff like, oh, you know, I like your accent, but it's not like, I go, you know, there's this idea of kind of like, no one goes crazy over an English accent anymore. And I can stand here in my truth and tell you that is a lie. Americans <laughs> love a British accent. Still, they don't always comment on it like they used to when I first came here like yeah. a decade ago. But they, people still kind of go, oh, oh, when you speak. And you know, if you play your cards right, you can get really far <laughs> on an English accent and a smile. So when I was traveling around doing stuff on the election or whatever, and you would ask people fairly intrusive questions for mm -hmm. the piece that I wanted to write or just, you know, out of interest. And people would answer me. And if I had an American accent, they would have given me a look like, huh? But if you say, so I'm so sorry, could you just explain to me, um, could you, speaking to the mic, could you tell me uh, precisely when you became a racist? And people start <laughs> answering. And you're kind of like, I just ask you a deeply offensive question. And they're like, no, nah, it's fine because it's, it's British. I like it. Uh. People, people will talk to you and just answer you because you sound like a posh white man. And it's like, oh, I see. <sighs> At this point, my accent trumps my skin color. And I think that's also this idea, especially when it was around, you know, stuff about Trump or Hillary or whatever. When you speak in an English accent, I think people literally stop seeing you. Mm. And they just, they hear the voice they've been conditioned to think of as intelligent and trustworthy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a reason why British people still play villains on screen. It's because, <laughs> yeah. you know, the accent is learned. This is the other yeah. thing as well. Nothing is accidental. You know, the English as villains from Basil, Basil Rathbone mm -hmm. you know this is there's a there's a there's a historical lineage of British people being evil America British people are evil like this is just <laughs> like it's a it's a constant like it's a constant story so but they're, they're not just evil they're also intelligent you know yeah. they they have so when I speak in that accent in this accent people kind of stop and kind of go huh she might have something interesting to ask or to say and people human beings also I think deep down want to please Mm -hmm. You know, so many times you ask a question that you don't expect an answer to. And the simple thing is people want to help. Yeah. People are helpful. They mm -hmm. want to give you answers. They want to be understood. They want to kind of tell their story. And so you get to kind of ask. And if you happen to do it in an English accent, it disarms them and then they begin talking. And I think that's also the idea also that because I'm not American, I don't have, for example, the same, quote -unquote, you know, regardless of justification, resentments mm. that an African-American woman would have. Mm. You know, you're mm. not like, essentially, to put it crudely, you're a different black. You're not one of our blacks. So maybe you don't quite have the same history. Mm. So they're happy to tell you stuff because it's different for you. Yeah.
So it's it's very helpful. You know, there are answers that I know I would not get if I went into like, you know, somewhere in Essex and I was like, oh, I've got a question. They'd be like, yeah, all right, fuck off. But here it can be like, oh, you're foreign, you're different. And that tells, it gives them a permission, I suppose, to kind of say stuff. So that's how I approach everything is basically I look at it and kind of say, what do I want to say? And a lot of the time there is a remarkable crossover between pop culture and politics. And that's that's the kind of the path I try to follow. Well, damn. Well put. That is well put. <laughs> So there's something that there's something that I I have desperately wanted to ask you about for a very 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 long time. Oh my god! So you <laughs> used to do this thing every Friday on Twitter. <laughs> I knew it. Yes, you knew you knew this was coming. You knew this was coming. Yeah. You used to do this thing every Friday on Twitter where you would share just like ten, just like absolutely divine things mm-hmm. that were making you happy that week. And I mean, like you shared. Like this really amazing sexy gif of Marlon Brando as Stanley Kowalski and a streetcar named Desire. God with the, bless Marlon Brando. Oh my God! And like all greased up and the and the tank top. All like, of it. You shared pictures of Angela Bassett, which I think they just yes. need more of. Yes. And you used to share like cute photos of like Blue Ivy and Northwest, and you called it hashtag Bims Ten Things. Yes. So, <laughs> before I ask the, the most pressing question, which sure. is my second question, okay, what was the inspiration behind Bim's Ten Things? There was no inspiration. You know, earlier when I said about how I meandered through life, <laughs> yeah. Bim's Ten Things was a result of one meander one day. I think I was having a less than good day, mm-hmm. and I was trying to find good things. And I was like, okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to just post some things of just things that are making me happy this week Mm -hmm. from Tumblr. Because I I love Tumblr. Tumblr's my favorite platform. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Tumblr is the happiest place on earth. It is. And anyone who says they don't like Tumblr, I'm like, you're following the wrong people. Exactly. Your dashboard is your problem. Exactly. You make it the greatness that you want to see in the world. (laughs) I just don't understand. People talk to me a lot about Twitter and I'm like, no, no, no. This is why I don't tell people what my Tumblr is. Mm -hmm. It's private. It's mine. It's where my id gets to be. Is, is that you? This is some Listen. real shit. You're speaking real shit right you now. Know I feel what? like Britney has tumblers I don't even know about. I have like, a couple tumblers. Yeah, I have because a couple that's, that's the correct. I, I like how cagey you're being because that's how mm-hmm. I feel about Tumblr. I'm like, no, no. People are like, what's your Tumblr? I'm like, you don't need to know. <laughs> no. Are you I my have mother? a fake public Tumblr. Same. Yes, that is my fake Listen. public Tumblr. I just am like, oh, Beyonce. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is a <laughs> meme. All right, repost. No, the real shit goes down someplace else. Someplace else. You don't need to know anything (laughs) about that place. No. Right. And it's amazing because people come to you. This is the other thing about being a writer and being on the internet. There are expectations in place. Mm -hmm. And people expect you to perform. You know, dance, monkey, dance. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I will not dance. So that's why my tumblers are private. Anyway, um, Bim's 10 Things came about because I was having this bad day. And then I just put up some things. And then at the end of it, I was like, huh, that's a nice round 10 things. And then I think I tweeted at the time, I can't find the tweets anymore, but I think I said, huh, maybe I'll do this next week and call it, I don't know, Bim's 10 Things. Um, <laughs> and then I did it the next week and the next. And then I did it for about three long years, which people don't realize it's very difficult to find 10 things Every week. for 52 weeks a year. <laughs> and I'm active on Tumblr. So a lot of it came from Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Some of it came from, you know, some of it was like... That's the other thing as well. Like people remember the the, the filthy gifts, but I actually I put like <laughs> I put journalism in there. I put some writing. I put music. Mm-hmm. I didn't put any of my work in there because you know you can find that anytime. But I put stuff that I thought was genuinely things that had genuinely made me happy that week, mm-hmm. and and I did it 
around lunchtime in the UK, which was about 9 a.m. in New York. Yes. So people would kind of see it in the morning. Oh, as soon as I came to work at my old job, it'd be there at 9 a.m. Friday, I could come to work and read BIM's 10 things. Because like I needed that shit, right? I and I got it. that. I got that reply from so many people. Oh, I really needed that today. And I'm like, well, I'm happy to help. And then it finally ended just before I moved to New York last year, mm-hmm. because I knew that my hours were. Go- First of all, I knew that I couldn't do that at 9 a.m. at work because oh, I was no. like, come on, it's Friday, it's 9 a.m. I'm eating bagels. Um, <laughs> but also, I just thought it's been three years. Like it can die now. Like or at least it can be put on hiatus. It came back. There was one very bad week when I think there was a shooting or something. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know what, fuck it, I'm bringing it back. I need it this week. And I just had like really cute things like babies and like kittens and mm-hmm. puppies. And I was like, okay, this is this is just necessary to get through today. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's, it's very much a sleeping dormant thing. It's not dead. Right. So my second question okay. is, <laughs> when is it coming back? You could have a BIMS 10 things once a month. Uh-huh. And I was still, yeah, we go bi-weekly. <laughs> That's what we do. Because we were like, we can't do this shit every week. So we started going bi-weekly. You could just, I mean, I think people would still rock with you even if you reduce the frequency. That is very kind. <laughs> I will take it under advisement. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I guarantee nothing because it's, <laughs> it's, like I said, it's very, very hard curating 10 things. And often, you, like sometimes there were repeats. And, you know, sometimes someone would be like, oh, you, you posted this seven months ago. And I'm like, bitch, it's hard. Can I? All back. Can, right. Can you, can you get off my case? So what if this gift of Mark Ruffalo has been here before? Allow it, please. Um, but it's very difficult. And also, this is the other thing. I was spending time on Tumblr, not enjoying myself, mm. but seeking things to put into 10 things. And I'm like, that's not the point of Tumblr. Tumblr is for joy. And I don't want to be saving things because I know, you know, like I, I'm happy to save things. My 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 likes and my dash are, are what they are. But it got to the point where it was feeling like, oh god, this is work. And this is kind of like when I kind of I reduced my my Twitter usage as well because I I kept thinking this feels like a job um, that mm. I'm not getting paid for, yes. and all my customers are angry. Speak on it. And there's Speak no one. On I can't it. tell them. I can't say go to the manager because I am the bloody manager and I'm tired. <laughs> So I, I, I cut down massively on Twitter because Twitter felt like, yeah, it was it was getting me down. So I'm like, I don't want to make that Tumblr. I don't want to. I, I want Tumblr to remain this joyful space where I go for, you know, for the sake of it. And also it's Tumblr's the best place to be a fan as well. Mm-hmm. So I would go there and just kind of immerse myself in my tags and just kind of have a good life, you know, for like two hours <laughs> and then come out and be like, OK, now I'm ready to face the day. So it may well come back. It may come back. Like I said, it's not dead, but it's on life support and we're, we're praying for its life I'm praying prayer circle prayer circle prayer for Ben's 10 things <laughs> amen so <laughs> well Bim yes phenomenal oh thank phenomenal. you very much you guys are phenomenal as well thank you oh my god thank you so much for hanging out with us yes and thank you so much for coming on the show tell people how they can find yes. you and your work and your tiny letter and everything right you can find me on buzzfeed.com the website and it's just my name on there and you can find me on twitter although technically you shouldn't because it's a mess um <laughs> which is uh bim adieu so b-i-m-a-d-e-w and you can find me um not on tumblr because it's not for you but you can find me <laughs> on my tiny letter um which is called uh, the fuck is this question mark which is the same feeling that i get every time i get an email from a newsletter i'm like what the f- oh yeah i subscribe to this so that's why i've <laughs> named my tiny letter that so yeah you can find all of that at tinyletter.com/bim nice well this has been another episode of for color nerds yes 
For Covenants is hosted by me, Eric Eddings. And me, Brittany Luce. If you want to support the show, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Five stars only. Yes. Uh, you can also give to us on Patreon. Patreon. Patreon.com slash Four Colored Nerds. Very popping. You can also buy some of our merch. T-shirts. Yes. Mugs. Yes. Totes. Tote bag. We got you. Mm-hmm. We got it for cheap. Mm-hmm. Well, we got it. Read it reasonably priced. We have it <laughs> we, for a reasonable yes. price. And we'll ship it. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Have a good week. You got have a good two weeks because we're bi-weekly. Um, and <laughs> be safe. Know. Stay cool or warm, depending. And we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.